welcome to CXMH, a podcast at the intersection of Christianity and mental health. I'm one of your hosts, Robert Wood. Episode 1, Where We Are. Today we talk with Scott McConnell about where the church is in terms of engaging with mental health issues, where we're doing well, and where we can do better. Hey, so I'm here with Steve Austin, my co-host. Steve, how are you doing this week? What up? I'm doing great. How are you, buddy? I'm good. This is our very first full episode, so I'm excited about that. Heck kind of yeah, kick this episode thing off. one. Yeah, we've been planning this and working towards it for, for a while, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, these last couple of weeks, like waiting to launch, it's, it's been, I don't know, I've been uh, not anxious in a bad way over it, but excited, anticipating. Yeah, yeah definitely. I do, I just remembered, I have a funny story for you. So, uh, okay. so you and I recorded the intro episode where we just talked a little bit, you know, about ourselves and things like that. And there was mm-hmm. a moment where, uh, you mentioned being a family man and having kids and stuff. And then I said, uh, you know, I guess I'm also a family man. I have a wife, no kids yet, but we'll see how it goes. Right. And right. then you laughed and it was kind of a, okay. So we were over at Brooke and I, uh, we were over at some friend's house for new year's actually, uh, watching, you know, whatever. And uh, Brooke had not listened to the intro episode yet, <laughs> and these friends had. So Love we're this. sitting there watching, you know, Pitbull's New Year's Revolution or whatever. Sure. Because we weren't watching that. That's terrible. <laughs> and, and our friend goes, oh, hey, by the way, I love how you talked about your sex life on the podcast. And Brooke was so confused, and I was oh like, wait, 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 that's not how. And it was just a, so great. a gem of a moment. Oh, you know why it's great? Because it's your wife and not mine. That's, that's so great. awesome. No, I mean, I she, she laughed about that's it, obviously, hilarious. but it was, I think almost immediately after that, I sent you a text <laughs> about Happy New Year or something, because I knew I wanted to tell you that story, but I wanted to wait until oh, you were recording. Speaking I of New it. Year's, it's 2017 now. Yeah. Thank goodness. 2016 was awful. Let's put that behind us. Yeah. Let's definitely put that behind. We're all moving forward. You're doing some cool yep. things heading into 2017, right? Yeah. Um, what do we got going on? We, well, starting today, the day that this launches, Monday, yeah. um, I'm launching a 30 Days of Kindness challenge on my blog, uh, which is gracesmessy.com. And um, it is going to be really cool where people have done, you know, the random act of kindness challenge in the past. This is different because you pick one person that you're going to target for 30 days and um, you get an email every day with just ideas and encouragement on on being kind and compassionate toward that person for 30 days. There's also a, um, a private Facebook group. doesn't cost a thing. It's just a cool way to build community and try to make the world better one person at a time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you want to sign up for that, it's graceismessy.com. Yeah, it sounds awesome. You picked me, right? Absolutely. I'm just going to yeah, get kind sure. things every yep. every day. You got it. That's awesome. Well, that's a great idea, <laughs> uh, especially coming off 2016. There's There does seem to be just an excess of uh, 
frustration and and debating still going on. Yeah, so I think that's a fantastic idea of trying just to be a light, you know. Yeah. What about you? What's coming up new with you? Uh, I started my second year of grad school, which is is fun. And then this podcast is actually the biggest thing, the biggest new thing, kind of launching into some of this. I'm really excited about the episodes that we have recorded already, at least the interview chunks of, and then uh, we have a handful scheduled to come. And all all very exciting, very informative. We've had some great guests so far. I cannot wait for people to hear these interviews. I, I think know. they're gonna they're informative, they're encouraging. We have a little fun. Yeah. Uh, especially the one with the two Sarah's coming up. That, that, one, might that be one was more a lot of fun, fun than informative. Maybe more fun than yeah. it should have been. <laughs> no, oh man, that <laughs> it was, was a great good. time though. Yeah. Yeah. But this one was a fantastic one too. This one with Scott was really good. Yeah, so we'll get to we'll get to it here in a second, but just so you know, it's uh, Scott McConnell. He's the executive director of Lifeway Research, and they had done a study that I've referenced time to time in my writing about how the church, specifically Protestant churches, but how they view mental illness, mental health, things like that. They interviewed pastors and families and congregational members and things like that, and so very, very informative. And this was the first thing that we recorded including that intro that we did this was the very first thing at all so this was kind of the the launching point which is right scott was our guinea pig yeah which actually so this is an important clarification because this might be confusing when we recorded this one you were not fully a, a host of this show so you are treated. Right, I hadn't fully drank the Kool Aid yeah. yet. I'd only had just a little sip. Yeah. So you are treated in this episode as a guest. So you get a full introduction and everything, <laughs> uh, and then starting in the. Now se- wait, I'm I'm not going to get that every time. Uh, well, we've recorded two more, and I don't think I. This is trash. You know, this is trash. I'm sorry. Whatever. I'm taking my toys and going home. All right. Well, starting on the fourth episode, Steve <laughs> will be gone again. Uh, but that's fine. <laughs> Oh man! No, so so that's that's why that's happening. And the only other note I think you need to know before we start is this was recorded back in the tail end of November. It was the week of the Iron Bowl, which is a Alabama Auburn football game. I'm an Auburn mm. grad. Roll Tide, baby! And poor Steve here has yet to see the light in in that sense, and he's an Alabama <laughs> fan. So there's some here we are at number two. I know, God, it's terrible jokes there. So yep, yep, yep. That's awful, but. All right. Well, hey, let's get to it. We don't want to spend uh, too long before we get to it here. So hope you enjoy this interview with Steve Austin, even though he's already here, and Scott McConnell, who's the executive director of LifeWay Research. Hope you enjoy it. All right. Welcome to uh, our very first episode, uh, what we're calling Where We Are, where we'll be discussing uh, kind of currently where the church is in terms of engaging with mental health. We have two great guests for you today. First, we have Scott McConnell. Scott is the executive director of Lifeway Research, as well as the author of a few books. Uh, Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Glad to be with you. And then we're also joined by Steve Austin. Uh, He's a a blogger at Pathios, as well as an author of a few books, including the Amazon best-selling From Pastor to a Psych Ward. And he's worked at a few churches and currently is a worship pastor as well. Steve, glad to have you. Hey, I'm glad to be here, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. Did I miss anything in either of those introductions that you feel is important? One just small thing. Well, I guess it's not small. It's actually really important. Uh, A major Alabama fan, Roll Tide. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Huh? What? Is that a problem? Wait, I forgot we're not. I forgot we're not friends this week. 
It's just for you, buddy. Oh, Scott, to clue you in there, I graduated from Auburn, so it's a major ah, point of contention between there Steve and I, especially this week. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. Well, glad to have you both here. We'll be taking a look at uh, mostly a study that Lifeway Research did, the study of acute mental illness and Christian faith. There's some great stuff in there. I've referred to it a number of times. But before we dig into some of that, either of you guys, how does it feel like we're doing? Because I get, you know, when I write online, I get some responses and stuff. And to me, oftentimes it feels like it's one or the other. I'm either getting a handful of uh, responses from people who are disappointed with the way the church is engaging with mental health or some really inspiring, great stories. So would either of you feel kind of one of those more than the other? I think from my my experience, uh, more anecdotally than than through research before these studies we're going to talk about, was that the church is has been pretty silent on issues of mental illness, and uh, you know sometimes their response has been kind of uninformed, uh, but most of the time it's simply been unengaged, and. Uh, you know, yes, when there's a family in their church that that is is caring for someone, uh, has someone in their family that that is facing mental illness, uh, you know, they try to be there for them, but it tends to be short term when when the needs are are long term. Yeah, I'm with you in the responses to my uh, to my book, and then in countless comments online and personal emails. It's either the church is silent. Or you have from a um, a Pentecostal charismatic uh, in those circles, it's they're not silent. It's uh, mental illness is demon possession, and we're going to prep a team of people to cast a demon out of you. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's get into this study a little bit. Scott, can you give us a little background on the study? Why you guys decided to do it? Things like that. Yeah, we were actually approached by uh, a family member of someone who uh, had schizophrenia, and uh, really, as the family was kind of uh, coping after that that family member had passed away, uh, they really wanted to do something about this issue and to to understand it better and understand uh, what the church can be doing and the relationships there. And so they approached us and and helped sponsor this research, um, as well as focus on the family and. Uh, the research covers both surveys of pastors uh, in Protestant churches, as well as uh, some of those who have experienced uh, m- mental illness, um, and also with family members of those who have uh, encountered uh, uh, some of the more intensive mental illnesses. And so, uh, we, we really wanted to hear from a number of folks, and we actually started the research project by interviewing a number of experts um, who could kind of clue us into some of the language, clue us into some of the issues, uh, and, uh, and then we jumped into these quantitative surveys. In the beginning of this, I'm flipping through it here just for reference, but you have some, in the executive summary, some uh, bullet points, mental health experts and their positions on shame and stigma and things like that. Are those assumptions or kind of underlying basis that you're starting with before you go into the research? Yeah, I mean, they, they brought up just a lot of, of dynamics that, um, you know, again, most of us haven't paused to think about it if our family hasn't encountered this, that uh, especially when, when you're helping a family member who uh, ha- has uh, severe de- depression or bipolar or schizophrenia, uh, you know, those really become very consuming illnesses that, uh, uh, 
you know, changes, changes a lot. And so, you know, some of their advice uh, was that, you know, our, our frame of reference of what is success uh, with some of these illnesses, you know, isn't, uh, uh, isn't what, you know, some of us lay people would think about of, uh, oh, they're totally back to normal or, or oh, they're, they're, they're totally functioning uh, like, like I can function uh, spiritually in, in my walk, uh, you know, progress is, is relative. It, it's, 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 you know, uh, is there a little bit of progress from where they were yesterday, where, where they were last year? And uh, so, you know, if, if a year ago they were not able to engage at all in spir- in, in spiritual things um, and, and, and today that they, they have a little bit of openness, they have a little bit of uh, ability to concentrate enough to, to engage um, and, and, and other other progress, uh, you know, those really need to be seen, you know, celebrated. And, and for a lot of family members that, that adjustment of expectations, um, is a painful time and, and something that, but that's something that's very necessary. Yeah. One of the, uh, things that I, I found most interesting in this beginning part here talks about how people with mental illness often turn to the church first for help. And that in, I've done a few other, uh, research, reading some studies, on where people go in terms of when they're first experiencing mental illness and things like that. Steve, you've been on, I think you said, three different churches on on staff at those. Is that a common thing that you find that people often turn to the church first for help with with mental illness? Yeah, I think church people uh, will turn to their pastor um, because you know, they think a pastor is going to, they could, a pastor can counsel me with marriage issues. A pastor can counsel me with uh, death or loss or heartache and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, my pastor can, can counsel me with this as well. Um, And sadly, most, most pastors are just not prepared. And I don't, know that it's a, a cause to point fingers. I don't know that it's their fault, but when you look at most seminary graduates, they they might have a class uh, you know, in pastoral counseling before they graduate, probably one. Uh, but to touch on anything mental illness is, is pretty rare for um, your typical seminary graduate. So uh, you have people that go looking for help and, and usually they don't get what they need. Sure. And there is some uh, data in here actually on exactly that point, what pastors say that they've been equipped with. But before we get quite there, the church's role as a whole, I think we've got here 56% of pastors strongly agree that local churches have a responsibility to provide resources and support to individuals with mental illness. 46% of family members in a household of someone with acute mental illness strongly agree with that. 39% of individuals with acute mental illness also agree with that. This is for either one of you. Does the church have a responsibility to engage with these issues? 100%. Even if they don't, if they don't have the answers, to have a a referral network of counselors in the area of psychiatrists, psychologists, whatever, but professionals who are equipped, trained, prepared for this kind of thing, um, yeah, they have a responsibility. I, I fully agree with that. It, I believe that that our theology, our belief about God, and and our relationship with God impacts every area of life, and it means that. Uh, we believe our relationship with God can uh, assist and help us assist others with with anything life might throw at us. And uh, you know, mental illness is one of those that uh, really can can uh, can throw the individual with the mental illness uh, uh, 
can throw them off kilter, but it also can throw their whole family off. And uh, we as a church need to be ready to walk through that with them the same as we would uh, somebody diagnosed with cancer or somebody who loses a job um, or, or any other uh, difficult time in life. So the, the church as a whole, their response, and here we also have that individuals within the church, uh, their response to someone with mental illness caused 18% of those individuals to break ties with a church and 5% to fail to find a church to attend. Would you say that that's more giving kind of the wrong response or maybe just not having a response? Well, it could be both. Uh, you know, definitely if, if, if the response they're getting is that um, everything that they're experiencing is a spiritual issue and, and there is no physical, there is no mental element to it, um, that could be really discouraging. And uh, especially when they feel like they've been, uh, you know, spending time with God and, and investing in the spiritual. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, definitely some of the words that are said within a church, uh, some of the, the quick condemnations that could be said, um, or, or assumptions that people are saying those things could definitely turn somebody off. And so it, it needs to be something where the church is, is proactively welcoming and proactively being helpful. Yeah, to your point there, uh, a, a different study uh, that I found in 2008 found about 41% of people with mental illness diagnosis in a church had somebody either flat out deny it or dismiss it, say, hey, you don't, that's not a real thing, even though you've been diagnosed by a mental health professional. How common is that kind of response, either one of you? Well, you think about just, uh, I think about, maybe you don't, but I do, I think about how often uh, someone would just say something that, and this, this comes from well-meaning people a lot of times too, this is not necessarily, um, you know, a, a, a someone who's trying to be mean or hurtful or cutting, but a well-meaning person who just says, just choose joy, just choose joy, and you're going <laughs> You don't get it. I like I, I can't just choose joy when I'm dealing with uh, I don't know bipolar type one or schizophrenia or you know some some serious mental health uh, diagnosis, especially in the early stages when a person doesn't have the tools that they need yet. They don't have the support system that they need yet. Maybe they don't have the medication that they need yet. So something as simple as oh just choose joy uh, can be pretty destructive. We did ask pastors uh, about the role of medication and the role of psychological therapy. And, uh, you know, given some of the anecdotal conversations, I expected a few more to be really resistant on, on these. And and we found that that 0% of pastors uh, really would deny medicine for mental illness. Uh, but 7% did say that, that it would really be a last resort, um, even though, you know, some of these symptoms uh, can, can be very disruptive uh, and 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 really not allow a person to, to function uh, normally um, and and when it comes to psychological therapy pastors are, are quite a bit more reluctant they really uh, the majority of pastors want to talk about spiritual principles first uh, mm -hmm. e even though that person uh, you know may need some very practical techniques that that you know that that are going to be shared in that psychological therapy to so that they can acknowledge that some of their thought processes um, are, are not normal. 
doesn't that just blow your mind? Like you got some, uh, you know, obese, extremely overweight person who goes in. Is the pastor going to talk to them about spiritual things or is the pastor going to say, hey, there's a great gym right down the road? You know, uh, we're going to talk about some very practical ways to lose weight, and get healthy. If that's your goal, we're not going to I'm not going to give you a Bible verse. If you're trying to lose 50 pounds, give me a break. So can't can't those two things, though, go kind of in conjunction, right? Because you might say, you know, to to follow your example here, you might say, hey, let's go down the road to a gym and and talk about some healthy solutions. But also, what is the root cause of maybe why you're eating so much or or whatever it is, right? Can't those two things go kind of in conjunction? Absolutely. Yes. 100%. Yeah. if, If you're eating for your therapy, yeah, certainly. Absolutely. The you know, we, we are spiritual beings, but we're also physical and, and, and we're using our mind every day. And so, uh, these, these functions, these processes, uh, within our lives, uh, have a huge amount of overlap. And, and I think pastors and church leaders and, and just fellow, uh, uh, you know, Sunday school class, small group members, uh, we can be saying to someone, Hey, we're going to walk beside you and, and encourage you spiritually. Cause that's what we know how to do. But we're also going to refer you to some mental health professionals who, who can help you w- with some of your needs there. Yeah. Can, what if the church did that? Like, what if that really happened? That would be amazing. It, it really would. Uh, you know, one of the realities, though, is in the same way these families kind of have to go through the shock of, uh, you know, some of the disruptions that can happen uh, because of these illnesses. Uh, you, you know, some of these are, 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 are can be can be, you know, what we consider odd behaviors like, uh, you know, uh, even spending money uh, uh, in, in just a, a, an incomprehensible way um, sometimes can happen with, with schizophrenia and, and with, uh, w- with some of these illnesses. And so, uh, you know, it, it, as, as a family has to deal with that, you know, we as a church member, as, as a friend at church, you know, that's going to hit us as odd. And we're going to be like, wow, don't do that. Um, and if we're not realizing that there's an illness involved, we're going to really want to be distancing ourselves from that person because that is odd behavior. And, uh, you know, as soon as we can understand uh, that that they're experiencing an, an illness here, that they're going to need help walking through, um, you know, hopefully, you know, God will be granting us the compassion we need to, to walk with them, um, even though that's not going to be our initial response. Yeah. I think about, oftentimes I think about how Jesus came down to earth and stepped into kind of our messiness, right? He didn't come down and say, well, I'll fix that from afar or, hey, I'll pray for that. But he came down into it with us. And that's a a helpful image for me in terms of, hey, it's our job if we're called to be like Jesus, to step into other people's mess, not to to say, hey, we'll try and help from afar or, hey, I'm going to avoid that, but to really step into it and say, I'm going to walk through this with you. That's beautiful. So true. Um, To go back a bit, Steve, I want to ask you about something that Scott mentioned there. He mentioned that they found 0% of pastors said that medicine should never be used. Is that a surprising statistic to you? No, it is shocking. I like, oh my gosh, that is so hard for me to believe. Incredibly hard for me to believe. Why? Tell us a little. (sighs) Scott, I, I have not looked at the report. Um, were was it were this was this pastors from m- multiple denominations was this uh yes it's ha- from from protestant churches okay okay i you know all i can think about are 
are my experiences. So um, I would say the statistics don't lie. Uh, but from from my experience in, again, um, Pentecostal charismatic circles, um, man, it, it, you know, it, <laughs> it, I grew up in a time where if if God didn't heal you, you didn't have enough faith. And so medicine was not ever talked about. Now, at the same time, I don't know that the specific question was ever asked, hey, pastor, is it okay to take medicine for this? So maybe it's, maybe my perspective is unfair, but yeah, I'm blown away by it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I asked that because that actually, uh, the first time I ever read through here, was the most surprising to me as well. I think about oh, yeah. uh, a few weeks back or maybe a month or so ago, I wrote a piece on uh, medication being okay in, in the Christian context. And there was some angry, angry comments on that, you know, that I was a fake Christian or intentionally leading people astray because I was saying that that was okay to use medication in a, a mental health capacity. So, Well, and look, are people over-medicated? Absolutely. But are there people who desperately need medication when nothing else will fix it? Absolutely. Yeah. Did you have something there, Scott? No. Uh, you know, one of the things that that was definitely a part of the, of the survey kind of before we got to that question is, is, you know, the illnesses we were talking about, you know, are, are on the more severe end of, of, of the spectrum. So we, we had brought mm -hmm. up schizophrenia, we had brought up bipolar, we had brought up, uh, you know, clinical depression, which would be the more common of those three. Um, and, you know, across those, uh, you know, a majority had, you know, had, had dealt with somebody, a majority of those pastors had dealt with somebody uh, who was bipolar, a majority, you know, vast majority have dealt with people with depression. Um, so, you know, pastors have encountered people with, uh, with some of the more severe mental illnesses. And, uh, you know, I think those experiences have definitely um, uh, would probably sway their thinking, you know, in those cases, whether, you know, they would, have the same response for uh, some of the the day-to-day -day mental illnesses of, of ADD, ADHD that affect a lot more people. Um, I, I don't know. Um, That's a great point. Yeah, I would be interested to know if it was just, you know, if you just listed the, um, like you say, the day-to-day -day ones, the ADD, the ADHD, uh, general anxiety. I wonder how pastors would respond to that. That would be a really interesting thing to to see. Maybe in the maybe in the next study there. That's right. Two point yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I did. There was one or a handful, I guess, that I found really interesting that were kind of right next to each other in the section about the church's role. One I found really interesting is that sixty-eight percent of pastors that you talked to indicated that their church did provide care for the mentally ill or their families by maintaining list of experts to refer people to things like that but that only 28% of family members in a household of someone with acute illness indicated the exact same thing. Is that a disconnect in what pastors believe they're offering, but that maybe people aren't actually seeing who need those resources? Yes, I, I would chalk most of that up to being a communication problem, uh, where the church has the list, you know, they have helped some people in the past, they do know some, some basic steps to take, uh, but they're not broadcasting that. They're not saying, hey, we're here for you. Um, and uh, you know, we could probably speculate as to why churches uh, don't do more of that. But, uh, you know, to me, that contrast, uh, when only a quarter of the families who need that help uh, know that it exists, uh, when, you know, three times that many 
the the help supposedly is there, uh, uh, you're not creating a welcoming place. You're not offering a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Uh, you know, just because it's in the fridge doesn't mean it's been offered. Uh, you, th- there's an opportunity here to to let uh, the church know that we're willing to walk with you and and to get you the help you need uh, if you're encountering some of these things. Robert, that's one of your promo quotes right there. <laughs> the the just water because it's in the, in the fridge doesn't mean it hasn't been on. That's so good, man. It really is. That is great. Uh, no, but you know what? That's encouraging to me that that there are that there's that high a percentage of churches that do have resources. So it just means we've got work to do in communicating that to our people. That's I really find that very encouraging. Yeah. And you know, for 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 church leaders that don't, you know, they haven't gone to the work of creating a list, uh, you know, honestly, that's a phone call away. Uh, you know, Focus on the Family has developed lists across the country to get you started. Um, and I'm sure a couple of the large Christian counseling groups in, in the country have done the same. Uh, literally, you know, a couple hours, one afternoon, uh, as, as a pastor, you can have some names to refer folks to uh, that, that you can have confidence uh, uh know Jesus Christ, but also know good mental health. And, uh, and that, that's really a, a great first step. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of lists uh, for resources, whether it be specifically the, the Christian ones that you're mentioning, or if, hey, if you just need a mental health professional, there's punches of lists. Uh, to write Love in Our Arms has you know, lists in local areas, things like that. I mean, it really is a Google search. Uh, and sometimes that's a little intimidating, just a Google search, you know, mental health professionals in my area and then flip through, but it's definitely possible to find. Uh, I want to ask about another one on the topic of having conversations, because that's a large part of what the goal of this podcast is, to have conversations. Steve, I know a lot of your writing uh, is along the same lines. Can we openly talk about struggles with mental health so that people feel less alone? And there was some of that in here. 65% of family members in a household of someone with acute mental illness believe that the local church should do more specifically in talking about mental health openly so the topic is not so taboo. Right below that, the bullet point is that 49%, so almost half of pastors, rarely or never speak to their church in sermons or large group messages about acute mental illness. What's Is that just another disconnect or is it just that it's such a, a strange topic that we're not willing to talk about it. It, it could be a little bit of both. Uh, uh, you know, communication um, is huge. Uh, you know, within church settings, uh, you have to say things multiple times for people to understand the church is doing that, the church is involved in that, the church can help with that. And, uh, you know, pastors know that, church leaders know that when they're advertising an event at the church. Um, so, so that same thinking needs to go into, you know, how can we help families know that we're there to help with, with mental illness that, that they're grappling with. And again, we're not going to make ourselves the experts on mental illness, but we are going to, to get you help and we are going to walk with you. And, and, you know, again, one of the biggest things that, that families are asking for here is, is talk about it. And so that means weaving it into to sermon illustrations. It means reminding people uh, that, that you have some folks to refer them to. Uh, it means opening your doors, saying, uh, you know, we're willing to host uh, some of the groups in the community uh, like uh, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, for them to have some of their meetings uh, 
with, with folks so that uh, so that we're this is something we are talking about. This is this is something that we know members of our congregation are grappling with, and uh, you know, just the general numbers out there uh, tell us that even the smallest churches has somebody uh, grappling with mental illness. Yeah, I think the current estimates uh, by, as you mentioned, the National Alliance on Mental Illness uh, and others is about one in five, somewhere around a little over eighteen percent of adults in the United States are. Uh, experiencing a mental illness and in a given year. So uh, it's hard to imagine a church where that's not an issue for their their people. You know, I think it's all of that, all the, the suggestions that Scott just had are, are fantastic. And I think it can be, you know, even as simple as a, a pastor giving a sermon on self-care, right? So I think the reason that we don't talk about uh, mental illness on a Sunday is the same reason we don't talk about sex or porn addiction because we think, oh my gosh, but you know, like I'm not going to give a sermon for that one or the one or two people in our congregation that might be struggling with that. I'd, I'd rather just counsel with them one on one. But if we don't talk about addiction, at least in general, and then the same thing for mental health, we could talk about, a, you know, you have a sermon on self care. You can have a sermon on, because everybody's experienced anxiety in some way. Everybody's had an anxious moment or an anxious day, whether they've got a, a, a diagnosis of, of anxiety or not. So if pastors would just, you know, give a sermon on self-care, do a, a series or something on it, um, and be a little bit more general, that's totally a great starting spot um, to get some of those conversations going that we're talking about. Do you think, though, that there, because I, I'm with you, but is there also something powerful about being specific, about having sharing stories of, hey, somebody who's gone through depression, who's gone through, you know, these specific things, so that somebody in, in the audience, someone who's l- listening to this sermon says, oh, that's an okay thing to talk about. Because I, I wonder if sometimes that when we speak in generalities, if we're giving the impression of, hey, we, this isn't a place where you get into the nitty gritty of it. I agree with you totally. You know I do. Um, yeah, it it goes back to the Brene Brown stuff, talking about shame and how shame thrives in the dark and it thrives in secret. So, when, but it can't survive being spoken. So, yeah, you know, maybe you give a sermon that is a little more palatable for everybody, but you, um, you know, you show a clip of somebody giving a testimony, or you have somebody give a live testimony in, you know, during the day that day and talk about. Um, you know, somebody like Steve Austin, who's survived a suicide attempt and, you know, lived to tell about it. Um, you know, maybe you do something like that. Absolutely. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But, um, you know, I'm just saying for a starting point to get to the just the place to start, you know, if you've never touched on mental illness on a Sunday before, got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think even in, in prayer time to to let's get specific, you know, that that there are people in our church struggling today, and and when we rattle off some of the things that that they may be struggling with, uh, you know, it's it's life issues like job loss, uh, but it can be relationship issues. Uh, but let's 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 mention that in that list. Uh, let's mention mental illness. Let's mention domestic abuse. Let's mention, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, porn addiction and and alcoholism. Uh, it, you know, when we're when we're naming real things that people are are, are dealing with, uh, uh, hopefully within earshot. Hopefully, that 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 
that our church is touching them, uh, then they know that our church and and our God um, is is willing to walk with them uh, through that pain and 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 will be with them, uh, even though it, it, it may take some time and it may be a difficult road. Great point. So I wonder if in in here in the pastors portion also says 38% of pastors strongly agree that they feel equipped to identify a person dealing with acute mental illness that may require a referral to a medical professional. How do we, because it's easy to see a link between only 38% of pastors feel strongly equipped and, hey, we're not talking about these things enough. How do we equip pastors better to to be in a position where they feel comfortable talking about mental illness? It's, it's definitely something that I think we need to be encouraging pastors to, uh, to, to be knowledgeable, knowledgeable about, to, to be reading. Uh, you know, there, are some, there are some helpful articles um, focused on the family, shared one on, on how to identify potential signs of mental illness in your congregation. Um, you know, sometimes if we just hear one of those symptoms by itself and nobody tells us that, that can be a symptom of something has changed uh, mentally, uh, you know, we just think that that, that person is, uh, even though they have no history their whole life of ever going to work late, uh, you know, all of a sudden that starts to become a, a, a pattern that's chronic. Um, you know, we don't realize that, that that actually could be a symptom that something else has changed in their life uh, mentally. And and if we put that together with several other symptoms, uh, we know that, hey, we may need to have them uh, get checked out. Absolutely. I, I think the other thing, a couple of other things that you do um, is add more in seminary. Uh, you know, give uh, in a counseling class, add a segment, add a week or two on you know, some, some key ways to recognize mental illness. Um, the other thing that you do, there's a guy out of Georgia, I'm trying to think of his name, uh, but he does uh, QPR training and you can like have him come to your church. Oh, it's Robert, Robert Vore is the guy's name. Uh, but you know, you have somebody like Robert come to your church and do QPR training and teach your staff, teach your core team, teach your lay leaders QPR on a, a Saturday afternoon. And oh my gosh, how awesome would that be? To clarify what Steve's talking about, QPR Shameless training plug. is uh, it's a suicide prevention training that, that I offer along with lots of other people at qprinstitute.com. You can find lists wherever you are uh, for things like that. But uh, I guess kind of one of the last things, well, maybe we'll see because I'm enjoying this conversation, but we've got 23% of pastors indicate that they've personally struggled with mental illness of some kind. Uh, Steve, you've been a youth pastor and a worship pastor. What does that number say to you? Is that a little lower than you expected, a little higher? What does that number say to you? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I think all of the numbers, you know, th there's a couple of numbers in there that are a little bit encouraging. I think all of the numbers that you've said so far show that we've got work to do. I think it's just, you know, it just is what it is. I think that we need to... Um, to realize that this this is a an issue that is far more prevalent than most people recognize that that mental illness is my gosh it's so common today yeah scott is there there we've hit on a few things from kind of each category are there any other things in here that you think are important to highlight one is uh that just 27% of churches indicate that they have a plan for supporting families of the mentally ill. 
And, uh, you know, most of what we've described today um, are, are, are something that a pastor or a church leader can, can do pretty quickly. They, they can weave some things into their normal communication. Uh, they can make a couple phone calls to, to have some referrals ready. Uh, they can line up some training uh, within their church, uh, again, pretty easily. Um, but just jotting down some things to say, you know, well, what about the family of the person that, that's encountering the mental illness? How can we walk with them? Even if that plan is, you know, to to have a training session for the small group that that family's in um, or that Sunday school class so that they know how they best can support that family. Uh, I think that's got to be an important part of this because uh, mental illness uh, tends to be a, a, a long road to recovery. And, and again, recovery is kind of a qualified term, uh, what that progress looks like. Steve, any, any closing thoughts or reflections from you? You know, <laughs> I think it it just it starts with some some knowledge, um, and when you when you increase your knowledge, um, when you sit down and have a conversation with somebody who has a mental illness, and you get to know them um, as a human being beyond that that label or that diagnosis. Um, when your when your knowledge of that person as a human being grows, your compassion, I think it just it automatically grows. Um, so I think if we can if we can let our congregation know that they're in a safe place, that we may not have the answers, but we will absolutely find them. Um, and that we're with them for the long haul, that whatever this looks like, uh, whatever this mental health journey looks like, whether it's uh, for the person or for, um, you know, in the case of a suicide where the family's left behind, um, that we will walk with them through those um, dark and messy times. If we just do that and don't think that we have to have all the answers, um, man, we could change somebody's life. Yeah, I think that last bit there that you said is so important. Instead of necessarily wanting to offer a, a quick fix or a, an immediate cure, right, but being willing to walk with people through a long road of recovery or potentially, as Scott mentioned, not a road that doesn't have necessarily the end goal that we think it does, you know, not, hey, how do we get you back to 100% immediately, but hey, no matter what, we're here with you through this, I think is such a huge thing. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you guys both for engaging in this conversation here. Uh, if you want to connect with either of these guys, Scott McConnell is executive director at LifeRay Research. You can follow him on Twitter at SMCCONN or at LifeWay Research. You can find out more about what they're doing. Steve is a blogger at gracesmessy.com. That's over on Pathios as well as an author of a, a handful of books. You can find those at gracesmessybooks.com and you can connect with him at, at I am Steve Austin. Any final words? Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Scott, I, man, I can't tell you thanks enough for doing this research, for heading it up. What a uh, what a wonderful resource for the rest of us and I, I think a very eye-opening tool for the church. Thank you so much. Definitely. Well, thank you. Uh, surveys describe reality, and and the reality is uh, there are hurting people in our churches, uh, and uh, we need to be aware of the pain they're going through, and we need to be willing to walk with them. And I appreciate uh, both Steve and, and Robert as as you invest in in doing that in the area of mental illness. Awesome. awesome. Thank you guys both. <laughs>
Thank you. Thank you. All right. If you enjoy this podcast, the absolute best thing you can do is rate or give us reviews on iTunes. Uh, That helps us immensely. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at CXMHpodcast or go to cxmhpodcast.com for some show notes. There'll be a link to the study we talked about, things like that. We hope you come back next week. Thanks for listening.